welcome back to the porch. This week we are going to be discussing the importance of Jews of color, of their voices, and of holding space for them in the Jewish community. To do this, we have brought on the amazing Ana Rajagopal to help break it all down through her experience as a proud South Asian Jew living in the United States. Ana, welcome. Could you begin by telling us a little bit more about yourself? I'm biracial. Um, I'm half Indian. And a lot of my activism centers around South Asian Jewry and Jewry of color, um, specifically around Indian Jews and the ways in which Indian Jews are either misrepresented or aren't represented. Um, and a lot of that reflects uh, my own identity and my own experiences um, within um, my predominantly Ashkenazi Jewish communities. Why is it so important for Jewish people to recognize colorism in the Jewish community? Well, I think more than colorism, like I think racism um, is probably a bigger issue because colorism is definitely a problem within communities of color. But before we like deconstruct what's going on in communities of color, um, within Judaism, we have to tackle racism. And I think that a lot of Jewish communities, whether they know it or not, harbor a lot um, of racism, especially in the United States. Um, my experience being a Jew has only been one in the United States. Um, but I have a multicultural background, um, and so that has really informed the ways in which I perceive myself and the Jews around me. And what I'm noticing is it's important that we point these things out because Jews like me and Jews, you know, who are very much more, you know, um, of another race, Jews who are darker, I obviously benefit from a lot of um, white privilege because of my proximity, um, experience this racism and degradation. And ultimately what it leads to is a questioning in your heart of whether you're really Jewish or you're Jewish enough, or, you know, um, am I allowed to come into this community? Do I feel like I'm worthy? Um, and so all of these questions arise from this kind of inter-community and intra-community um, bias that goes on against Jews of color. And I think if we want Jews of color to truly feel accepted, even within themselves, like if I want to accept myself as Jewish, I need my community first to be like, okay, you're welcome. And if that doesn't happen, then I can't accept my Judaism truly is, is kind of where I am. Yeah. On that note, do you think that white functioning Jewish people have a tendency to speak from a position as if they're a person of color because many of them don't identify as white? How is that harmful? Definitely, this is an issue that is um, really prominent um, among Jewish communities of color. It's something that we're noticing a lot. Um, and I've been in discourse about this with my um, fellow Jews of color, specifically my female Jews of color. Um, and, and it is an issue because there's this pass that's given for racism because white functioning Jews feel that they are somehow people of color or within the realm of being people of color, which isn't true. Um, white functioning means you inherently benefit from your proximity to whiteness. Um, and while I'm white passing outside of the Jewish community, within the Jewish community, I'm not white functioning at all. People look at me, they see an Indian Jew, they look at my family, who's very much um, a mixed race brown family, they look at us and they see, you know, other, they see different. Um, but they feel that they can't kind of oppress us because they're Jewish. Um, and I think that's a problem because then where do Jews of color fit in, right? Because we're Jewish, 
um, but we're also people of color. And so, you know, we're experiencing different types of racism. We're experiencing racial-based oppression that white functioning Jews aren't. Um, and so that's, that's definitely a problem. I would argue um, 100% that there's no such thing as a white Jew. Um, because whiteness is not something a Jew can possibly be due to structures of white supremacy. White supremacy sets white functioning Jews apart from, you know, literal white people. Um, and, and the analogy I always go back to is, would a Jew be welcome at a KKK meeting? Probably not. And so um, there's that, yes. But then that is not the same thing as being a person of color, right? Um, Jews don't experience the same racism, the same levels of you know, racial-based oppression that actual people of color do. And we have to be able to make the distinction that while you're white functioning, you still benefit from white privilege. And, you know, saying that that's not necessarily indicative of a negative aspect of your character, but what it does mean is that you have to take a back seat to a lot of these conversations. And I think what's going on is beyond silencing Jews of color with the I'm not white trope that goes on, there's this idea that, oh, you're pulling out my privilege, you're saying that I'm a bad person, you're being anti-Semitic. And that's not really what's going on. We're just asking, you know, for white functioning Jews to recognize privilege um, and, and acknowledge that that's, that's not necessarily indicative of anything wrong on your part. It just, it's a system that you benefit from and that you have to acknowledge. And I think that's like one of the first steps in unity for all of us, for all of us that have been oppressed by white supremacy. You know, we need to recognize that if we are breaking each other down, we're only aiding white supremacy. We're not we're not building each other up. A hundred percent. And I think that that's doubly true for for black Jews. Right. Because um, black Jews can't enact a systemic level of oppression against um other Jews, right? Um, black people can't enact a systemic form of oppression against Jews, but white functioning Jews and non-black Jews absolutely can enact forms of white supremacy. They can be agents of white supremacy, and that doesn't mean they're white supremacists, right? It just means you're upholding structures. It's not possible for a Jew to be white supremacist, but it's this idea that um, all liberation, and it's, I'll say it over and over again, all liberation is tied to black liberation. And if, and if black liberation doesn't happen, no one is gonna be liberated because ultimately anti-Semitism in America is built on black oppression. And if we're gonna solve anti-Semitism in America, we have to solve anti-blackness. Um, and the only way to do that is to start in our Jewish communities by saying, what's going on here that's making black Jews and other Jews of color feel unwelcome? Is it me? Am I doing something? How can I change? And I think that a lot of people feel that that's um, an, an, an indicator of, of your personal, you know, traits. But I don't think it is like, I'll give an example. When I first started heavily getting into Jewish activism on Instagram, um, I had followed Yasmin, um, and her account is yasmin.dreams with a Z, and she's amazing, we're friends now, everything's great, but when I first started following her, I was like, hey, this feels like a personal attack, but it wasn't. She was calling out anti-blackness in the Jewish community, but I felt personally victimized because I had engaged in it. Um, unknowingly, um, I had put out content that wasn't inclusive of black Jews and she was calling that principle out in general. And I was like, this hurts my feelings, right? But like in reality, what I should have done instead of getting angry at her was get angry at myself. 
um, and get angry at the anti-blackness in my community. And so, and I tell other Jews, other non-black Jews, I'm like, I've been there. I've been mad because I feel like someone's personally attacking me, but that's not what this is. It's breaking down systems that you contribute to, whether knowingly or not. And so I have a lot of um, white functioning Jews in my DM saying, this was a personal attack and you're a bully. And I'm like, okay, I, I understand that gut reaction, right? Because in this world of polarization, when someone says something to you or about a community, it might feel like an attack. But what does that really mean? How can we break that down? We need to, like you said, we need to lift everyone up um, and make sure that, you know, the liberation of Jews, make sure we know that that is tied to the liberation of Black people, first and foremost, and then to other people of color. So, yes, in short, I agree. <laughs> On that note, do you think that there's a resistance from non-POC in the Jewish community to acknowledge Ashkenormativity? And why do you think that is? Yeah, so... Yeah, it's a really, it's a big topic, especially right now. So the term Ashkenormativity has only come into the mainstream um, dialogue in the last few um, months really heavily. That's not to say it hasn't been used before. I know Yasmin has been using it for years, other Black Jews and um, Jews of color have been using it for years, but the Ashkenazi community has only really become aware of this term because of how much we're using it. Um, and there definitely is a, um, a resistance to using this term and to breaking down what Ashkenormativity really is because there's a confusion. A lot of um, people think, not just Ashkenazim, a lot of you know, mixed race Jews, a lot of even Jews of color, think that Ashkenormativity equals Ashkenazi Jews. And that's not what that is, right? So people think when I say, let's deconstruct Ashkenormativity, they're like, wait, you wanna get rid of Ashkenazi Jews? And I'm like, no, um, that's not what I want to do, um, because Ashkenazim are beautiful, valid, important members of our community, but their experiences aren't universal. So, you know, my best friend in the whole wide world is an Ashkenazi Jew. Her experiences as someone who functions as white, as someone who has always gone to synagogues where people look like her, use the same liturgy that she's used to, speak the same types of Hebrew that she's used to, you know, say good Shabbos instead of Shabbat Shalom, all of these little things, you know, her history is represented, the Holocaust, Ashkenazi Jews and how that affects them, all of these things she has always had that I have never had. So when I go to synagogue, I don't see any Indian Jews, right? Maybe there's one other Jew of color and, you know, we give each other that, you know, I see you, I see you, look. Um, you know, our history isn't talked about in, in Jewish school, right? There's no history about Indian Jews ever taught, you know. I didn't even know about the history of Indian Jews until I started really digging. And even then it was hard to find resources because no one cares. Um, so Ashkenormativity isn't Ashkenazim. Ashkenormativity is the normalization of Ashkenazi Jewry as the only and predominant form of Judaism. And people think that we're trying to erase Ashkenazi history and Ashkenazi identity, but it's just that we're trying to bring an equalizer to the field. Um, and I think what you're saying, like a lot of that resistance just comes from feeling personally victimized, right? But that's not what this is about. Like Ashkenazi Jews still experience anti-Semitism. They still experience violence, right? You know, most of the Ashkenazi Jews in New York City and in, in Brooklyn are, are Hasidic. So um, they experience the most physical anti physically violent anti-Semitism, right? I'm not saying they don't, but what we're trying to say is that 
we need to allow other juice to have some time in the limelight. We need to allow other juice to be represented. Um, and that shouldn't feel like a personal attack. And if it does feel like a personal attack and you deconstruct it and it still feels like a personal attack, then maybe there's something that you have to work on within yourself to understand that, you know, you have personal biases and prejudices that need to be worked through. And that's really important to, to understand that notion that you need to take a step back and reevaluate. And it's really important regardless of where you're coming from. And I just want, I would love for you to speak upon um, some of the frustrations of people questioning the validity of your Jewishness because of your Indian heritage and vice versa. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good question. I have always been in Jewish communities that are predominantly Ashkenazi. So um, a lot of the communities that I've been a part of have been white functioning as a result. Um, because the majority of Ashkenazi Jews are white functioning. Um, living in the South, living in Texas, um, there has been a prevalence of Latinx Jews. Um, so I hear Ladino being spoken. Um, some of my friends are Latinx Jews, so there is that element, but they have the same types of issues that I have. And perhaps mine are even more amplified because in Texas it's accepted that you're gonna have Latinx people um, in your Jewish communities to some degree, right? But when an Indian is in your Jewish community, I'm not trying to compare oppression, but when an Indian is in your Jewish community, that's weird, right? People are like, that's, why are you here? You don't belong here. Um, and I think that there's definitely a questioning of Judaism. Um, before I started being open about being a convert, um, my own personal conversion story, um, when I presented myself as not, when I presented myself as a born Jew, um, whether actively or not, people would always message me and say, you converted. And I'm like, where did you get that information from? I've never told anyone that. And they're like, well, you're like, you're, come on. And I'm like, no, I didn't convert or I did. That's none of your business. But the fact that you're assuming that I converted shows that you think that somehow Indianness and Jewishness can exist in, in union, right? And there's definitely been that sort of rhetoric throughout um, my experience in Jewish institutions. Like I was raised very religiously um, in reform congregations um, with exposure to conservative congregations. My own Jewry is modern Orthodox. Um, and so my Jewish exposure has been very heightened, which I'm very lucky to have. I'm very, that's a blessing. Um, but at the same time, entering any Jewish community, there's always the question is, you know, oh, your dad was Jewish. Really? Is that because my, my mom is brown? That's, that's why my dad is Jewish, but my mom isn't Jewish? Or they're like, oh, but, but you know, you must have Jewish ancestry. Like, oh, okay. So because I'm a person of color, you know, my dad must have somewhere a Jewish ancestry, Jewish lineage, right? There's always this justification. There's like, oh wait, but no, it's okay. You're okay, you're welcome because of this. And I'm like, well, why can't I just be welcome because of who I am? Why do you have to find a, a white functioning reason that I am a Jewish person, right? Um, and I think when I'm alone by myself, that exists but when i present with my my whole family who is a mi there are a mixed race biracial family we're a mixed family um that question arises a lot more right and i think predominantly my experience with that feeling unconnected feeling like i'm being excluded has been in my less religious communities um because in my orthodox communities there is knowledge of somehow indian jewelry right and so people have assumed my family are, you know, the Jews of Kerala. People have, have assumed my family are B'nai Manasha or, you know, some subgroup of Indians within, um, some subgroup of Jews within India. So there's, so in my Orthodox communities, there's been a little bit more 
I'm lucky, a little bit more acceptance because they're like, oh, you're from, you're a dual group from India, like it's okay. But even then, that's still a level of, ex of excusing it, right? That's still saying, you're from a group I know about that I've accepted is Jewish, so it's okay. But if you come into a community as a person of color and you don't give a reason for why you're Jewish, there's this idea that you're not Jewish enough. Um, and I'm sorry for the long-winded answer, but that's something that I'm still dealing with today. It's something that I'm still trying to feel accepted with. And there have been times where, you know, I've been trying to read my siddur. I've been trying to shop for Jewish, for Judaica. I've been trying to write in Hebrew on my own. And I've been like, I can't do this. I have to close my book. I have to, I have to go do something else because I'm, I feel so, I feel like I'm, I feel guilty. I feel like I'm stepping into a territory that's not mine. And that's gross because it is mine. And, and inevitably, when I feel this, when I feel that disconnect, when I feel this isn't mine to study, this isn't mine to read, it's right after I've received comments rating my jewelry or questioning my jewelry or investigating my past, looking me up, trying to find out, you know, somehow, somewhere, an excuse. And that inevitably leads to personal devolution, personal lack of growth, personal disconnect. And it's something that is so toxic that not just Indian Jews experience, every Jew of color experiences this. Um, and Yasmin, I keep mentioning her because I'm in love with her, but she recently made a post um, that was like, it says something like, only you choose how to connect with your Judaism, right? And that to me, I saw that and I was like, okay, this, I needed to hear this. I'm gonna read this. I'm gonna read it again. I'm gonna read it again and I'm gonna internalize it. And then I'm gonna read it again. Because there's this idea that even Mizrahi, even because she's Mizrahi, Jews who don't present as white functioning are questioned. And I think that that's a problem. And she comes from a mixed race family and people are constantly asking, is your husband Jewish, right? Because he's black. That's gross. Um, and people are constantly asking, oh, is your mom Jewish? And I'm like, you don't have to whisper that. You know something's wrong there. Second, um, yeah, my whole family's Jewish. What's the problem? So short answer, yeah, it's really, really hard. It's been hard. It's been tears, it's been numbness, it's been feeling rejected in the place that I'm supposed to feel accepted, you know? And then there's experiencing anti-Semitism from the outside world, which I do a lot. And then there's coming into a Jewish community and being like, okay, I'm supposed to be safe here. Like, I just experienced anti-Semitism. Like, these are my people, like, I'm supposed to be safe. And then there's racism there. So it's like, where do I belong? Which world am I a part of? I guess, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think that's something that's really underestimated, especially by Jewish people, white functioning Jewish people and non-people of color in the Jewish community, that everything that you just described is trauma. It's traumatic. It is something that should not be welcomed anywhere, but especially not by people in your own community. And to yeah. see the divisiveness that has arisen from that is incredibly disheartening. Can you give a few examples of that divisiveness or I guess how you would combat it? Yeah, um, I think a lot of what happens, well with the term divisive first, a lot of what happens is when Jews of color try to speak on anti-blackness and try to speak on racism within the Jewish community, we are called um, divisive. We're, we're creating rifts, right? We're said to be Chilo Hashem. We're said to be engaging in Lashon Hara, right? Um, we're said to be violating Shmira Salashon. 
there's this idea that when we talk about problems within our community that are hurting us, we're engaging in breaking our community up. But my argument would be our community is already broken and this work is healing it. And you can't, you can't lift people up. You can't acknowledge systems and fix them if you don't first say what's wrong. And, and saying what's wrong isn't dividing anyone. And I think when Jews of color are called divisive, what the, code, what the code meaning for that is, you're talking about racism, you're making white functioning Jews uncomfortable and you need to be quiet. Um, and I know that um, me, Yasmin, probably Chen, um, Brown Sugar Jew, definitely all of these Jews of color on Instagram who are very prominent have been told, listen, you're violating Jewish laws by talking about racism. And we're like, okay, right. But shouldn't racism violate Jewish laws? And so I think there's this idea that we're breaking up the Jewish community. But that division already exists. We're trying to fix it. And so within that idea of us being divisive, there is division. Because Jews of color are saying one thing. And then white functioning Jews are saying, no, it's not actually a problem. And by the way, a Jew is a Jew we're all one race, the human race, um, you're fine. And we're like, okay, ideally, you know, there's one race, the human race, but that's not really how people see things. You know, people are calling me a shit-eating Indian Jew on TikTok. So, you know, one race, the human race, that's kind of out the window and, and that's gone, right? So we need to address the problem at hand before we say peace and unity, right? Um, and so there's, there's a line that's been drawn, I think most prominently on, Instagram, right? I'm on TikTok, I'm on Twitter, but I think on Instagram there's a line where Jews of color are trying to speak, um, and then you have white functioning Jews who are saying, this is not a problem for us. And I'm like, of course it's not a problem for you, it's a problem for me, and therefore it should be a problem for all of us. And so I think with division, there's so many subcategories of division that are going on. But what we all need to realize is we're combating the same thing. And and that's racism and anti-Semitism. Because I guarantee you, you ask any progressive Jew if they're against racism, they'll say yes. But then if you dig a little deeper and you look at those lines of division that you're talking about, you'll find that they fall on the side that isn't listening to Jews of color. So I think what needs to happen is we need to all recognize there's one enemy and it's white supremacy. White supremacy targets us in different ways. Some of us can be agents of white supremacy, some of us cannot. And that's not divisive. It just points out the lines that are already drawn. That's a really, really wonderful point and very well articulated. So thank you for that perspective. I was wondering if you would like to touch upon the Jewish Lives Matter movement right now happening on Instagram and how that can't be our, our movement. We should, not, we should not be co-opting it. So a lot of people have been talking about this. Most notably, Yasmin has posted... And I made a post about it a couple days ago because there's this account, Jewish Lives Matter on Instagram, and it has more followers than I do. It has, what, 5,000? I don't know. And the problem with Jewish Lives Matter is it came after Black Lives Matter. And the name is the same. And so what's happening is the visibility that Black Lives Matter has received is being leached upon by Jewish Lives Matter. The work that Black people have done to articulate their trauma, their pain, state-sanctioned murder is being, you know, piggy, piggybacked on 
And that's not in any way appropriate. Now, I'm all for fighting anti-Semitic. Like, people in my comments are like, she's anti-Semitic. And I'm like, I'm Jewish. I hate anti-Semitism. I experience it. I think it's disgusting. I condemn it. I've been fighting it my entire life. Like, come on. Like, do you see my account? I've done work for y'all, so shut up. Listen to me. This is something that is really dangerous because what it's doing is not only are we stealing the work of Black people, but we're telling Black people that we don't care about their movement. And that says something about Jews as a whole. I wish it didn't because they don't, I would say that they don't represent me, but as soon as you say Jewish lives matter, you're speaking for every Jew. And that's a problem. And the problem inherent to that is not only do you steal the work of Black people and pass it off as your own, but you know you're doing it. They know that they're doing it. And they're fine with it. And at the same time, they're perpetuating anti-Blackness. Um, and it's not just that account. That's a hashtag. That's a, that's a tweet. That's, that's a TikTok video. It's, it's everywhere. Um, and I posted that post saying, you know, Jewish Lives Matter can't be our movement. And the Jewish Lives Matter account messaged me and said, can you tag me for visibility? Can you promote me? And I'm like, buddy, I'm telling you you're wrong. And then I posted another thing. I, I really like this account. It's Funds for Caregivers. And Funds for Caregivers promotes Black women and Brown women and Indigenous women who are suffering um, socioeconomically and need assistance. And they, you know, post Venmos, cash apps, et cetera. Um, and so I always repost those things because it's so important that these women get access to the funds that they need. It's not just women, there's non-binary people, there's men. But I posted one of a black woman, a black mother, 17 year old black mother who was homeless and needed funds. And the Jewish Lives Matter saw that post. They messaged me and they said, it doesn't matter that she's black, we're all one race. What does it matter? Like stop being racist, stop saying that she's a race. And my response to that was, listen, there's a term, misogynoir, coined, coined by a black woman years and years ago. Um, and misogynoir is a form of um, anti-black misogyny that is perpetuated against black women and that disenfranchises them socioeconomically. So that black woman is going to have less of a socioeconomic, a socioeconomic advantage than I do. She's going to have a less of a socioeconomic advantage than anyone else. Um, she is the most um, socioeconomically disadvantaged woman in this situation. And so her race matters. Um, and what Jewish Lives Matter was saying is her race doesn't matter. And that's the problem. The Black Lives Matter movement is about race. And you're going to co-opt a movement and then say that race doesn't matter? Excuse me? You're using the work built for Black people, by Black people, to combat anti-Blackness. And then you're telling me that Blackness doesn't matter when we're talking about socioeconomic issues. So it's not just the fact that they're co-opting a movement. It's that they're co-opting it and then they're perpetuating anti-Blackness. And, it, and, you know, even if they were just co-opting, it would be a problem. But the fact that they're willingly saying that race is not an issue, we're all one race to human race, is disgusting. Because, yes, fine, we're all one race. But until that Black woman, who is homeless, has the exact same advantages as I do, we're not all one race to human race, right? Um, and so there's this weird idea that I've noticed, that a lot of people have noticed, that's like, if you speak out against racism, you're Hillel Hashem. But if you pretend that we're all one race and that everyone's happy, you're fine you're doing God's work, you're, you're bless up, right? Um, and that's what Ju the Jewish Lives Matter movement is all about. It's prioritizing Jewish lives. And my question is, what about Black Jewish lives? What about Black women who are Jewish? What if that woman was Jewish? You know, would you be saying the same thing? I don't think so. Um, and so I think a lot of this is rooted in anti-Blackness, whether or not you're Jewish. Um, because Yasmin, 
who is the mother of two black boys, who is the daughter of a black man and the wife of a black man, said, this is a problem. And the response to that was, mm, you don't think Jewish lives matter? And it's like, yes, they matter. But guess what? That's, you know, that's not what's going on right now because we have state-sanctioned murder. Jews are not killed by the state. Black people are killed by the state. Black Jews are killed by the state. Black presenting people are killed by the state. Black families are killed by the state. And so the problem is there's this idea that all of us experience the same oppression, which we don't. And there's the idea that if you say that Jews need to take a step back in the conversation about Jewish lives matter, they're like, but you don't care about Jewish lives. And it's like, no, you do not experience, you fundamentally, I don't experience the same oppression that a black person experiences. It's not about saying that anti-Semitism doesn't matter. It's not me saying that Jewish lives don't matter. It's saying that a black Jew will be shot by a cop, whereas I will get off on a speeding ticket. Um, and, and I think the problem is that people see that as a personal attack on Jews, whereas it's not. It's just identifying a problem. So yeah, I had a lot of problems with that, was, with that whole movement, with the hashtag, with the comments that followed, with the Jews who agreed with it. It really bothered me, and, I, and I, it wasn't a surprise because this has been here. We've been, we've been new. It's just um, sad because that account has more followers than so many black Jews on Instagram. And that's really gross to me. I don't know. Yeah, I think people are really missing the mark in the sense that any attempt to derail or overshadow or co-opt Black Lives Matter perpetuates the same white supremacy that is responsible for their killing. Yeah, and exactly this idea that there's a competition or that our oppression yeah. is the same or no mine is worse yours is better the oppression olympics so to speak is literally upholding the same white supremacy as not only killing black people but that is perpetuating anti-semitism so you would think it would behoove them to step back and stay in their lane and the people it harms the most as you touched on are black jews yeah well, and I also think that um, what a lot of people aren't realizing is that the people perpetuating this notion of oppression Olympics aren't people of color. The people who are perpetuating the idea of Jews are the most hated, it's white functioning Jews. Like, I just watched an interview with, may Hashem bless him, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. He is a hero of mine, love him to death, would never disrespect his name, but... He said that Jews are the most hated people. And I watched the whole interview. I loved everything he said, but that he said that at the end. I've read Jonathan Sachs' work. I've met him. He's an incredible man, an incredible advocate, activist, educator. But when he said that, I thought, why would he say that we're the most hated group of people in the world when anti-Blackness intersects with Judaism sometimes? Why would he say that when Black people are being killed by the state? Why would this man whom I look up to with my entire being say this thing that is disappointing me so much? So I think what a lot of people are failing to realize is that the oppression Olympics, they, it doesn't just hurt people of color and black people, it also hurts Jews. Because what it does is it makes us look like we're trying to compete. And that's a gross look. Nobody wants to see, nobody wants that. Like, I mean, I'm also a part of um, a large brown community, the Asian American community. And 
the Asian American community has come together a lot, a lot of them, of course there's anti-blackness, but a lot of Asian Americans have come together and have supported Black Lives Matter, right? My, Asian Americans my age. Um, and they're not saying, you know, we have it worse. No one's saying that um, in my communities. Um, and I'm not saying it's a Jewish issue, but I think, I think that there's a mentality within the Jewish tribe because of how old we are, because of how many um, injustices we face, there's a mentality that we have to have it the worst. I'm sure it's present in other communities too. I know that there's a trans lives matter. I know that there's a brown lives. I know that all of these things exist, but with the, with the specific lens of being Jewish, I think that it's not, I think that it's rooted in this idea that somehow we have to have it the worst off. Like there's no way anyone could have it worse. And it's like, I don't know what that means worse. I don't, what does that mean? You know, I, I would say state sanctioned murder is worse than a, a hate crime. I would say that being disproportionately killed, you know, by police and then having them get off and paid is worse than having a swastika painted on my door. But I'm not going to go and compare those things by co-opting a movement that isn't mine. And I think that that's a problem. I don't know. It's still something I'm thinking over because I know personally people who are telling me, I really liked you before you started talking about anti-blackness and racism. And I'm like, okay, great. And it's like friends of mine who are like unfollowing me and, and friends I went to school with, Jewish way functioning friends who are like, you're, you're undermining the cause. And I'm like, the problem is that you see the causes as a division when the cause should be a united front to fight anti-blackness, to fight racism, and to at the same time fight anti-Semitism. Doesn't mean that you have to, doesn't mean that you have to stop fighting anti-Semitism. It just means that you can at the same exact time do other things. It's not, there's, there's, there's an idea that you have to do one thing at a time. And I think that that's ridiculous because there's duality to everything, right? So, yeah. It's so baffling how there really is so much hesitance to address these issues in our community and to acknowledge anti-Blackness in the community. We haven't yeah. even been able to get to that first step. And I think a lot of white functioning Jewish people, oh, it's not my intention. And we hear this a lot about intention versus impact, how your intentions may be well and good, but your impact isn't. And if you can't acknowledge that, then there's not going to be any progress. 100%. I also think like, it's not just white functioning Jews who are being anti-Black. There's plenty of Jews who look like me, who look like my family, who engage in violent anti-Blackness. Um, there's plenty of Jews who are brown and who look brown as heck who engage in anti-blackness. I mean, it's present in the brown, brown Jewish communities and it's the same idea of intent versus um, what is actually conveyed. But the truth is, is there's no difference, right? And I always go back to, I posted something right after Deshaun Jackson came out with his statement and I posted something and it was like, why does nobody ever speak up for Jews? You know, why do progressive activists, anti-racist activists always speak up for other people, but never for Jews? And I phrase that in a way that wasn't appropriate. Um, and I have since edited the caption and everything. Um, but people were coming to me and telling me, black people were coming to me and telling me this is anti-black. And I was like, no, it's not. Like, that wasn't my intention. Like, I wanted to show that anti-Semitism is wrong. And instead of taking accountability for what I did, um, I acted inappropriately. And I said, no, you're wrong. Don't be anti-Semitic. I gaslighted, I gaslit those Black activists 
that was wrong of me. I have since learned how to address my own anti-blackness to some extent. Um, and, and it just goes to show anyone can be anti, like literally anybody can be anti-black. Like right now, I will take a bullet, you know, for the black activists who are doing work in the Jewish community. But, you know, six months ago, I was engaging in behavior that was anti-black and inappropriate. So I, I, I think it's not just white functioning Jews. I think it's everybody, to be honest, all non-black people in the Jewish community. It's all about learning and unlearning things that we've just been taught for so, so long. And it, it's very, it, it's incredibly important to recognize that you understand where you were and where you are now. And that's really cool and really amazing to, to watch that evolution. More generally speaking, have you experienced people in your life that have treated you differently after finding out that you are Jewish? Um, and if so, how has their attitude changed towards you? Um, yeah, for sure. Okay, so I think my first instance with this was in the fifth grade. And I, I had a girl over who was a friend of mine, really my best friend in fifth grade. She didn't know I was Jewish. We had her over and we did Shabbat, right? Um, because that was just something we did because she was spending the night. And she got really freaked out. Um, and she told her parents. And I didn't see her again after that, ever. Um, I think I ran into her mom once at the grocery store and it was super awkward. Um, but my first experience was as a kid. And I'm just like, why won't she hang out with me anymore? Um, and my parents had to say, you know, Anna, I think it's because, you know, we're Jewish. And that was such a hard a hard thing to go through because it's like you have this best friend in one second and the next second you don't um, because of the way that you observe, um, the way that you exist. And I, and I think that that's, you know, still something that's really hard for me to get over, but it's happened numerous times since then. But I think that that was my first real experience with it. I want to talk a little bit about TikTok because TikTok of all the social media platforms, it seems to be just an absolute breeding ground for anti-Semitism. And, you know, they just came out with this zero tolerance policy, which is, seems to be not in the least bit effective. Can you sort of walk us through your decision to be an activist on TikTok and to tackle these issues there, knowing that anti-Semitism is so prevalent? Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> I really didn't know when I started. I, I started when quarantine started. I was, I was like, you know what, why not give this a try? Like everyone else, I was like, let's, um, let's try it out. A lot of Jews were like that. A lot of my Jewish friends on there started at the same time I did. Um, and at first it was fine because I wasn't really making videos about being Jewish. I was making videos about, you know, my other identities, um, just what was going on in my life. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to celebrate being Jewish on here. And I was like, why not? Like I do it in other places. I'll do it here. And I think that that is when I was like, whoa, because I started getting DMs and comments, um, horrible things, um, about the Holocaust, about my family, about, you know, what people want to do to me and things like that. Um, based on my Jewishness. Um, that was when I was like, this is a problem. And so I started making videos, um, calling out anti-Semitism, right? Um, and a lot of my activism on TikTok is based in peace with regard to the Israel-Palestine conflict. And so a lot of the anti-Semitism that I receive is related to Israel. Um, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of Holocaust stuff on there too. And so once I started advocating for Jews in that way, people started um, tagging me 
and stuff. Like a lot of my Jewish friends were like, Hey, can you like do at this? Like you have a following now. Can you do at this and say why it's wrong? And I was like, okay. So I, maybe now today I get tagged in maybe 10 things a day. And, and like Jews are like, please, please, please like take, like try to get this taken down. And so, um, that's what I've been doing recently. And it's been crazy. Um, it's like you said, it's like one of the worst places for, to be a Jew openly. Um, I think like I've been doxxed uh, my location within a couple streets has been released. I've been, you know, I've gotten like really weird rape threats about me being a Jew girl. It was uncomfortable. Um, I've gotten all of these things. Right. And it's like, it's, I'm not the only one, like there's other, other Jewish friends of mine have been told, you know, let's put you in an oven. I've been told, you know, get in an oven or like, let's burn you alive. Like really descriptive things of what people want to do to me physically. And I think it's definitely traumatic. Um, but I think all of us have kind of reached a point of numbness where we're like, oh, another day, another, another Holocaust, you know, detailed paragraph about what they're going to, how they're going to kill us. Um, oh, goody. Um, so I think a lot of it, uh, like the emotional journey is crazy too, because I, I don't know what long-term psychological effects this will have on me or, or my Jewish friends. I have no idea. Um, probably terrible, um, probably something horrible. Um, but I, but I really think that TikTok is, it's very weird because they did come out with that statement saying zero tolerance policy, yet anti-Semitism is so rampant. And then the funny thing is funny. The terrible thing is when Jews try to duet videos or, you know, green screen videos or comment on videos that have anti-Semitism and when we're saying this is wrong, our content is being um, censored because we're, be we're going against community guidelines by calling it out. And like that says something, right? Because I made a duet of a, of a Holocaust joke video that was made and I was like, this is really wrong. My duet got taken down because it violated community guidelines. But when there must have been hundreds of us who reported the um, actual Holocaust video and, and it was said it didn't violate community guidelines. So I think, I think like with TikTok, I think it's inherent to the algorithm. I think it's inherent to the, the technical way that it works, that anti-Semitism is just built into the app. And like even recently there was a Holocaust audio, because you know you can save audios and use them in videos and there was a Holocaust audio that went kind of viral and the TikTok algorithm was caught promoting it on the basis of coding. Um, and a couple of Jewish coders and activists figured out that um, it was being promoted into Jewish people's feeds. Um, and so I think that there's something very robotically technical that's been programmed into TikTok to be anti-Semitic. And community guidelines, all of that's nonsense. It's, um, it's, it's nonsense, it doesn't mean anything. It's all very performative. I did actually see that post that you were talking about on your TikTok. And it was it was really disappointing. Not only was the original video of the of the guy just doing what he was doing disgusting, it was really hard to wrap my head around that some somebody thought that was okay. And then so many people after that continued to think it was okay. And it's it's scary. I yeah, I think also like what you said about people thinking it was okay. Definitely a lot of it is just blatant, no, known anti-Semitism. But some of that actually is what I'm starting to realize is like people just don't know. Like statistically, most people haven't even met a Jew, right? Most people like don't know what Jews are, what Judaism is. Most people don't even know what the Holocaust was. Like people are like, what, wasn't that thing like 70 years ago? And I actually had a guy who made a video calling a Jew a rat a couple times. And I was like, hey, you know she's Jewish, right? And you're calling her a rat. This is a problem. And he was like, ha, 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 why is it a problem? 
And I was like, it's literally anti-Semitic. And he's like, you Jews call everything anti-Semitic. And I was like, no, like this is actually anti-Semitic. I will send you Holocaust related articles about why calling Jews rats is anti-Semitic. And he read all the articles and he said, oh my God, I did not know this. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, we were taught about the Holocaust in, um, in school, but we never learned you know, how that anti-Semitism manifests itself today. I had no idea what I was doing was wrong. I, I'll remove everything. And I was like, whoa, like definitely some of it is intentional, is anti-Semitic. But I also think there are a fair amount of people our age who don't know what any of it means, who don't understand that intergenerational trauma is a thing. They don't know what intergenerational or transgenerational trauma is. They don't know that we still, you know, experience health problems because of it. It's, it's, there's this lack of understanding about Judaism. And I think some of the anti-Semitism that we're seeing is the promotion of this video, of videos like it, is like, haha, it's a joke, but don't, they don't, fundamentally don't get it. Um, and like, it's exhausting to educate people. I don't think it should be our job, but I think it's the responsibility that has landed upon us. Because I think a lot of what's happening is that the Holocaust isn't being taken seriously in the modern day. It's not, like, the, the, we get a paragraph in a history textbook the nuances of how anti-Semitism manifests itself today aren't talked about. Um, I don't even think Holocaust museum field trips are a thing anymore. I don't know. I went to Jewish school, so of course we went. And so I think a lot of it is ignorance. Obviously, no, no anti-Semitism. But I think a lot of the people who like the video but didn't comment anything or, or don't get it. Like, I, I don't know if it's from a place of hatred or if it's just from a place of ignorance that, you know, sh sh presents as hatred. I don't know. I really agree with that. I think also too, we see this with Gen Z a lot that it's become trendy, especially on TikTok to engage in these types of videos and anti-Semitic dialogue. Yeah, it's definitely a trend. I think there was like a video series that went viral that people started doing. It was like pretending you're a Holocaust survivor Mm -hmm. um and they like would rip their clothes and like put on dirt on their face and be like I was I survived Auschwitz and I'm the ghost of and it was like this weird romance like romanticization of holocaust survivors and it's like dude they are still alive like they're still out there and they're watching this like a holocaust survivor commented on how gross that was and I'm like y'all the obliviousness <laughs> we're not all gone like Jews are still here like it's not like you're bringing back any sort of light or shedding any like new knowledge on this. So I think, and a lot of the people who made those videos were like activists. And so that really confused me. Um, I think there's an obliviousness towards Judaism and oppression, anti-Semitic oppression in activist spaces too, but that's a whole nother topic, but yeah. Very true, very true. Um, going back to the point that you made earlier of people, most people not, having ever met a Jew, I think that's really interesting that you say that because I tried to bring up the numbers uh, to, to some friends back home here um, in Boston and, and um, it's literally 0.2% and 2% and in America. And they're like, um, I don't know about that. Are you sure? I know, I know a lot of Jews. Like, are you sure about that statistic? They seem to be everywhere. What do you have to say about that? I think, so I go to a Presbyterian college um, which is a sect of Christ a, don a denomination of Christianity. Um, and I have had interactions with people that have definitely indicated they've never met a Jew. Like I was in psych class last semester and we were talking about trauma 
or something, or something psych psychological. And a girl raised her hand and she was like, wait, was the Holocaust that thing where a few Jews were killed? I don't know. And I was like, wow. Um, so I, I don't know what the statistics are or what they mirror. I know reputable institutions have come out with the statistics, but the girl, when she said that, genuinely looked confused and no one said anything. Like I was one of two Jews in the class, the other Jew I grew up with, haha. Um, we went to the same college, go figure. Um, we were the only two Jews and we were just like, um, and she didn't know. She really didn't know and she didn't mean harm. She just didn't know. And so I think that to some extent, it there is truth in not knowing. Um, and and could that lack of knowledge and saying I didn't know be used as a marginalization technique? Absolutely. But I think we also need to leave space for people to grow and understand this as a people because if people don't get us, they're not going to care. Um, I'm working on. I have inherited the Jewish Students Association at my college. Um, and this year is my first year as active president. And kind of my goal with this is, hi, I'm a Jew, we exist. Um, also brown, we exist. Um, and learn about us. I think, I think the key to um, combating anti-Semitism is knowledge. I think it's education. I think it's showing people. Um, and yes, it's hard. And yes, people are going to use that against us. But I really believe that most people have never met a Jew that has openly identified as Jew, or if they haven't met a Jew, they didn't know it. Because it's just, it's crazy the things you hear when, when you're surrounded by non-Jews. Um, like, I don't have a Jewish community right now, and the, the stuff I hear about Jews from non-Jews right now, my age, is just, it's crazy. Um, so, to answer your question, yes, it is a wish-washy way of hurting us, but also, yes, there's people who don't understand who we are or what we are. Um, like, I know a lot of my friends didn't know we were a tribal indigenous group, which we are um, indigenous to Israel-Palestine. Um, and so I think if, if the more we educate, the more people understand that we are also a marginalized people, instead of contributing to the notion that they're punching up when they hurt Jews, that we're some sort of hierarchy, we're some sort of superior group, we're some sort of oppressor, you know? And there, there can definitely be oppression within our communities. Obviously, I already talked about the racism and anti-blackness, but as soon as people as a whole stop seeing us as white supremacists, I think that we can actually make progress. On a final note, I know you've discussed that you receive a ton of hate and backlash for speaking out. What would you say to other young Jewish people who want to speak out but fear the hatred that they may receive for doing so yeah um that's a good question i've been asked that a lot i would say the first thing is protect yourself make sure your location isn't disclosed make sure um you don't list your family members by name make sure that you're not tagging your friends in every single post um make sure that you're not disclosing your location of where you are and then proceed to your activism i think the first thing you can do is take precautions I'm very careful about my location. People know I live in Sherman, but it's a big, you know, town. People know my home base is in Texas somewhere, um, and that's fine. You know, people know Yasmin is from Brooklyn. They don't know where she is now. Like, that's the way you want to do it. You want to make sure that your location, first and foremost, is hidden, and then your personal information, like your email, your friends' names, your, you know, all these things, that you keep them safeguarded. 
um, and you only release them if you if you've done the work that you need to do to protect yourself, and then you can be an activist because I or an educator, because I think that um, people will try to hurt you and the ones that you love, and they people are crazy. Um, I don't discourage speaking out. I think it's a beautiful thing to do. I think we all have to do it, but I think we have to do it in a way that's smart. And I think we have to do it in a way that we're making sure we're protecting ourselves because we don't realize how vulnerable we are um, as Jews. Um, and when you engage in education, you start to realize that vulnerability. You start to realize people start to, to look back on your account. They start to research your name. They start to put together information. And that's scary. Um, but it's something that you, you have to go through if you're an activist. So I would say feel the hate. You're going to get it. Um, I've just started kind of making fun of it when I can, analyzing it when it's deeper, um, using it as a message. I think the worst thing you can do to an anti-Semite is use them to help you. That's the worst. That They don't want to help Jews. So as soon as I take their comment and I twist it around and I'm like, guys, let's analyze this. Let's break them down. Let's psychoanalyze them. Let's reduce them. Let's dehumanize their, their anti-Semitism. That makes them really upset. Um, and that makes them angry and it makes them not want to comment anymore. And that's what, that's what I've been doing. And that's the advice I would give is, is use anti-Semites to help you. Protect yourself. Do the work. Do the activism. Do the education. But, but use, use them because they're, they're giving you their time. Anti-Semites, they're like, you're living in their head rent-free. They're giving you so much. Um, it's horrible and traumatic, but it's a gift. And they don't understand that. They, they fundamentally don't get it because their goal is dehumanization. But when we take that dehumanization, we twist it around. Jews have always done this throughout history in all our battles. We've used our enemies' weaknesses against us every single generation. And in every generation, there is an evil force. There is an evil presence that wants to hurt the Jews. And all we can do is use that to our favor. We have a tactical advantage and we have to use it. Um, and there's power in community. So I guess that would be my advice. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure to meet you and talk with you and gain your perspective. So thank you so much. Thank you guys. It was really fun. If you want to learn more from Anna, you can follow her on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Anna Rajagopal and check out her blog, mixedandmarginalized.com.